Welcome to the Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy. I'm the one throwing nothing but sliders to my guy, Silver Slugger, former All-Star, and also a Golden Glover, Brett Boone. What up, Booney? How are you? Hi, Dan. Hi, Brett. Hi, Brett. Another podcast. What do you got for me? You can be a little more excited, pal. I'm excited when I hear from you. You can be a little more excited. It's your podcast, not mine. It really is. It's so exciting. <laughs> well, we want to thank. We, got on top? we want to thank everybody who's actually been subscribing and logging in. And remember, you can always find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else that you get your podcast. And you can even tweet at the Boone. The Boone Twenty Nine is where you can go get him, and you can ask him any questions you want. Because all the time, I will ask Brett questions anytime I want. And he answers all of them, surprisingly or not. And a lot of the times, the questions I ask him, I wouldn't answer if I was him, but. I appreciate you doing it anyway. So this show is a very special one because usually we have some riffraff that Brett knows or maybe some sort of baseball player. Now, because football is in a situation right now where a lot of guys are out because of COVID, I wish the guy that we're going to bring on could actually just be activated right now because my fantasy football really could use a Hall of Fame player, and he is a Hall of Fame player. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Boone Podcast, Andre freaking Reed. What up, Drake? <laughs> I like it, guys. I like the freaking. I like that. That's, <laughs> that's right. You know, Drake. But I guess we have to go with that. But it's great to be on with you guys. Uh, nice to meet you, Dan. Same here. And, uh, ain't, nothing like, ain't nothing like some Brett Boone, man. We go way back in the Orlando days. Now, Dre, all right. So yeah. I, where, first of all, where you been? I, I'm going to introduce my buddy Dre officially. It's 2014, inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame, seven-time Pro Bowler in 16 seasons, 15 with the Buffalo Bills. That's accurate, isn't it? That's pretty yes. good. And Dre, I don't really know Dre as that. I, I know Dre as my my neighbor in Florida when we were both kids and and both uh, both playing. And uh, where now we live in the, in the same area in the San Diego area. Have you been watching any of the uh, playoffs? I know the Padres have done well. They're still in it, and maybe the Padres needed COVID man to go as far as they have. <laughs> I don't know. They needed the six to get. I'll tell you what, Padres. Padres are legitimately good. Yeah, I, I don't. Th- I don't. I don't think they're not good enough to beat LA, but uh, I don't think. But they're good. It, it should be. We haven't had many winners here in San Diego recently. So, so yeah. uh, I've been watching quite a bit this year. And th- they're actually, at, for the short term, next three, four, five years, I think San Diego is going to have a lot to cheer about. They, they got some young players that are really, really good. Uh, so it's going to be exciting. You've been playing any golf? Yes. I, I, as soon as the COVID, we were able to get on a course. Um, you know, people were like sleeping over at the courses because yeah. people are so ready to get outside and do anything, especially golf is, you know, we love golf. That's part of our release, if you want to call it. Um, but I've been playing a little bit. I was just back east, uh, um, back in uh, Allentown, went to see my mom for a couple of days. I did a commercial for the Thursday night game. They played the Chiefs on Thursday night in two weeks um, for uh, for Ford and it's going to be on Fox. So Y'all got to check that out. I went around in Buffalo, did a little ride along, and they asked me all kinds of questions about my time in Buffalo and the team now and the team then. Uh, then I went to Philly for a couple of days. Um, Teresa has a – she's a brand manager, so she manages about five to ten guys. I say about ten guys in the league now. One of them plays for the Eagles, so we stopped through there to say hi to him. 
took him to dinner and then uh, went to see my mom for two days and got back here a couple ni- a couple nights ago. So um, it was a, a pretty good trip back east. Very cool. Did the rock thing, did all that. <laughs> now, well, it's cool, Dre, because, you know, I'm, this podcast just started up for me and uh, it's interesting, but it seems – you know, with me, like it would be with you, it's, it's going to be dominated by, for you, it'd be football. For me, it's baseball. So it, I just said, I got to get Dre on here to mix this up and, and kind of, comp- <laughs> we're going to compare and contrast NFL versus MLB and, and give the fans out there a little bit of a, of a sneak behind the curtain, what it's like. And, you know, and like, I'm going to go into my first thing is, is we got 16 games in the NFL. I got 162 games. Yeah. So if you've got a world championship caliber team coming out of camp, what's the thought process on a, from an NFL player? Because I know, you know, as a baseball player, we got 162. There's no way we're going 162 and 0. But yeah. on the NFL side, on those great teams you were on with the Bills, did you ever come out of camp thinking we could go 16 and 0? And what's that, what's that thought process? How does, how does that go? To tell you the truth, I never thought that an uh, undefeated season was – you always think about it, but just, it's never to a certain point of reality because, again, of the, the 16 games compared to 162, um, and I've been asked that question a lot over the years. If you play baseball, you think you play 162 games, well, it's kind of comparable to football, so 16 games of all – it's whatever. But I never thought of it that way. I think in any sport you take game by game – um, injuries definitely are always a big part of, of the sport. Um, injuries are a part of, of baseball, they're part of basketball, they're part of football. And uh, you just got to roll with it in that kind of manner. And, you know, it's always been next guy up. Whoever gets injured, it's the next guy up. You got to either do better or something comparable to the guy that you took to his place. And in football, it, it's because it's such a physical to a certain point, physical sport. I know when I played, it was more physical than it is now. Um, it's a, it's a little different than now than it was 20, 25 years ago. Uh, the game is a lot different. Got it. Cause, cause when you go to, you know, from a baseball set and, and us as athletes, you, you know, it's a pretty common thing. I mean, we've gone into camp and I'm sure you have too with, with a pretty mediocre team, but you never look at it that way when you're in camp, you're thinking, Hey, you, your answer is always, and you really believe it as an athlete, through that training camp is, hey, we're better than they're giving credit, us credit for. Nine times out of ten, you find out about midway through the season, no, they're exactly like we thought they were. And, and, <laughs> right. And, and some years you're disappointed. And some years yeah. you come out of there, you know you got a good team, and you don't play up to expectations. Sometimes exactly. you come out of there a, a, a team that's not very good and play a little bit better than you expected. So I think, you know, I have always loved to compare and contrast the, the sports because we're so isolated when we're in our game and in our career that we don't really go outside the bubble. You know, you guys are in a different off season than we are. So we cross paths. Like when we were down in Florida uh, to the people that, that are tuning in now uh, Andre and I were, were neighbors and that's how we originally met. And, and we met in a real uh, cool place in Windermere, Florida, great golf course, great community. And we played a little bit golf here and there, but Andre was always coming when I was going. And it, and it seemed like the basketball players that, that lived in that area with us, they were always coming. We were going, and once in a while we cross each other's paths. Like, but, uh, yeah, we go, hey, see you later. Yeah, what's up, man? Good luck. Yeah, you suck this year. You were great. 
But uh, no, that's that's the interesting. That was the beauty of it because yeah. that community, you know, that community we lived in. I mean, Shaq lived there. Uh, Griffey, you, me. We had D Brown that lived in there. Yeah, uh, we had we had some guys at the top of their sport living in one area. I mean, Tiger lived in there. Uh, you would see Payne Stewart. You'd see Marco Mayer. You'd see the top golfers in the world there. So we always would cross paths, but we would talk about our sport and we'd be like, all right, we'll see you guys later. Uh, have a great season. And, and you're absolutely right. It was a, a compare and contrast uh, kind of thing, but we respected each other for what we did. And we always gave love to each other uh, for the season that we were going to and the season we had. So it was a lot of fun living there, man. It was a lot yeah, of fun. But, but you know, Dre, still to this day, you know, we both love golf and, uh, I still don't know if I could chalk up golf as an actual real sport. It's more of a skill, more of an activity. So those golfers, we can't count them. They don't have seasons. They come and go, oh, I'm going to take the week off. I'm going to play this week. So, no, yeah. I'm kidding. But, you know, it, it was cool then when Tiger was there once in a while, one of us get to go out and play with those, play with those guys because they can't come to a football field and run a pattern with you. They can't get in the batter's box with me, but we can go on the tee box with them, and I think that's what makes golf. Yeah, such an awesome, you know, things that we, most of us as ex-athletes love to, to play when we're done. Yeah. And, and to that, you know, I remember one time I was just over there at Alworth. We were on the practice team just hitting balls and it was like two weeks before the Masters. And it was I think it was Tiger's first year he won the Masters in 96. And they're all on the tee box. I mean, on the practice team, uh, practice, you know, hitting balls and putting and chipping. And the wild thing about that, just watching those guys really gave you a perspective of not only how good they were, but their, their, the mentality it took to do what they do. And they, and they say that about baseball players and football players. There's a certain mentality you have to have. And I always just say to Tiger, I go, yeah, I can do what you do on the weekends, but you can't do what I do on the weekends. I'll tell you, and I got a good story for it. Because when I was uh, – when I was – uh, when I was with the Braves, and I was only with the Braves one year, 1999, and Johnny Smoltz and Tiger were good buddies, and, and Smoltz mm -hmm. ends up uh, inviting Tiger out to a spring training game. So, you know, we work out before the game. We hit BP, whatever. Tiger comes out. We got him We got him in one of those kazoo helmets. Tiger looks funny with a helmet <laughs> on. He comes out. We get him in the cage, and we just got a coach throw a BP. And, I mean, this kid looked like he didn't know what deer in the headlights – and he, oh, yeah. finish, he finishes his round and he comes over to me and he says, Booney, he says, man, I didn't realize. I mean, he didn't hit a ball out of the infield. And he goes, I didn't realize how much power was, was required to hit a baseball. And I looked at him. I said, Tiger, it ain't power. It's technique. You ain't got it. But now you know how I feel standing over a wedge. And, and it just it's pretty cool to be able to put somebody, you know, in our – in our stuff, yeah. In yeah, our in our stuff, because not too many people can do it. Like you said, for a baseball player, the closest they're going to do, be able to do it is get into a cage and hit off a BP pitcher. The closest they're going to do in the NFL is is maybe you take them to practice and you get your quarterback to throw them a pass just to get a little bit of a feel what that's like. But that's not – everybody's not going to get a chance to do that. Me and you can go play any golf course we want anytime to see what, yeah. what they're going and then, to. And when we're on a tee box – you think about things too, because golf is such a mental sport. I mean, obviously you need to have technique and power and all that, but playing with your boys and just out there, just chopping it up and, you know, Hey, you know, play 18. 
But then you think about these guys at big tournaments like the Masters or something like that, their game has to be like way above sure. everybody else's to win. And that's why I think I got so, so much respect for golfers because not only is it individualized, the mentality it takes, and I love that word, the mentality it takes to make a four-foot putt when it needs to be made, not with your boys on the weekend, is, is a lot different. So it was always cool to talk about, you know, that kind of stuff with Tiger and those guys over there and, uh, you know, kind of hype our sport up to them. And right, then they right. kind of came back at us too. So right. it was all good. Yeah. All right. We're going, now we're going to go back. We're going to go back to our, our contrast, MLB, NFL, and, and we'll go to a, a simple one. And this, this will be kind of almost rapid fire, but home versus road in the NFL. And, and I'll give you – I'm going to let you go first. Tell me how big of a difference is. Does it depend on – you know, does it matter if you're playing in the Dome in uh, – you know, or, or being on a host, a place where you can't hear as good as you're used to hearing? How yeah. big of a difference is that in the NFL? That's, that's a tremendous difference. I think, you know, going to a so-called, you know – foreign stadium if you want to call it uh and with now what's happening you don't have that because there's no fans to a certain point so going to a different stadium the minute you walk out on the field just to warm up it's already a different feel no matter no no ball was even caught yet or nobody ran a ball nobody scored a touchdown so in your mind you're thinking you're going to get this all game no matter if you're doing well or you're doing bad uh you're going to get the fans. The fans are going to be on you. Football fans are no are different than any other fans to me in, in all sports because I ticket. They feel like they can say anything they want to say. They can rib anybody they want to rib. And especially if you're in some stadiums, it, they're just notorious. Like if you go to Philly back in Old Vet Stadium, you ever played Old Vet Stadium? I you did. I, I loved it. But that ball flies there. The old, <laughs> yeah, but the, the, the fans fly too. Yeah. Philly fans are, are some of the craziest fans in sports. And you feel that the minute you're there. So how do you kind of just dissipate that in your mind when you know you got a job to do? Um, and it's just making plays. That shuts people up really quick yeah. when you make some plays. Um, so that was my whole thing when I went to a different stadium was, you know, I wanted to get involved quick, make plays, and then let the chips fall where they may. Uh, so the fans, you know, can, you know, would be quiet a little bit. But, you know, some fans are rowdy and you not know, just football fans. No doubt about it. Yeah, because, you know, from a baseball standpoint, yeah, it, it's a little bit of a disadvantage going on the road. But but I didn't look at it from a fan standpoint. I look at it more from our sole disadvantage of being on the road is we ain't got the bottom of the ninth. They do. So that was the advantage. Yeah, that's and as far as – you know, because of baseball and it's every single day, you tend to be able to get to a point. And I know you did it, too. When you're in the zone, you're not thinking about some crowd yelling at you. And baseball-wise, even more so. You know what the ones that hurt the most for me were the home games. If they're yelling at you, now my feelings are hurt. I'll tell you what, if I'm, if I'm in Oakland, which is the closest fans to football fans I think we get or when you go play the Oakland A's, when they're yelling at me, I expect that. I want to hit one of the upper deck and, and just kind of give them a salute on my way in. That usually shuts people up. But, but uh, wow. Yeah. 
So, so yeah, it, it, I think it's different. I, I would think the NFL, because everything's packed into that, it's one game a week, man, and you train all week for that one day where you're going to either kill or be killed. And then, you know, and, I, and I've debated this with football players all the time, what's tougher mentally, baseball or football? Oh, football, definitely is. I said, well, let me, let's, let's break it down and say why. And I think, you know, it, it's kind of equal in its different ways because if you go out yeah, on yeah. – if you go out on Sunday and kill it, you're walking around for a week with a pep in your step with your chest out going, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I have a rough day, well, I got tomorrow to make up for it. And, and, but the same, the, the same case for me made. If I'm, in a, if I'm in the zone, I'm in a hot streak, man, I get to play every day. But then when I'm, when I'm not, there's nowhere to hide because tomorrow's coming and tomorrow's coming mm-hmm. and Rod. Roger Clemens is pitching, and then Pedro Martinez, and I want to hide, and I know I'm going to be in the lineup. So I think yeah. there's pros and cons on both sides, but but I think it's it's fascinating for me how, how as much pretty, as we're the same, similar. we're very different. Pretty you know? pretty pretty similar, but different. Um, like you said, it you got only one day to think about going 0 for four, or you 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 had an error at you know in the game that. May cost like a run or two, and that's the run that you needed. Yeah, we to lost, play. right? You lost. With us, you drop a pass or uh, you you a penalty or something happens. You got a whole week to think about that. <laughs> yep. You know, you got a whole week to think about your mess up. Not only are your teammates like you know, and I'm not saying all teammates are like that, but you got the media that's on you. You know, they, they're the first ones to get you all week, the whole week until you get to next Sunday. Um, to to redeem yourself, so uh, it's a quicker turnaround in baseball than it is in football. But um, I think the payoff is probably the same, no doubt yeah. about it. Because the next day you can hit two smackers and be like, "What happened to that 0 for four? Yeah, right. Yeah. But and then in football, it's like, "Oh yeah, I caught two touchdown passes, and uh, we kneeled down with a minute left, and we won the game." Right. So that's you know that's the that's the similarity I think to it. Very cool. And let's get to uh, okay. Let's we're going to break this down for for the the fans out there listening uh, because actually I kind of want to know. All right, NFL. I know how we travel. Major League Baseball team uh, typical. Let's say I'm going on a ten day road trip. We park our car. We get in a bus. We go to the tarmac. We get on a charter flight. Most teams charter like a Delta or American or whatever it may be. We have our plane. We go to the next city. You know. That's that's the way it is. We might be gone for 10 days where you guys, you, you live a different life than we do. We live a life on the road. We'd be gone for 10 days, home for a week, gone for four, home for a week. Whereas the NFL, you live at home, but you just fly, you know, as, and we can get down to uh, a bed check, which to a major league baseball player is kind of laughable. Like nobody keeps tabs on us. Now in the NFL, Tell, tell me a little bit about the travel. You got probably 10 more coaches than we have. You have double the players we have. Staff must be unbelievable. And the NFL players are twice as big as us baseball players. What kind of plane do you guys fly on? Dude, we, we, we flew Trans Am, Trans American. I don't even know if they got that airline no more. <laughs> it was, it a, was it a double decker? It was actually it was Pan Am. How did you fit? It was Pan Am. So basically, Pan Am. Pan Am. So basically, all the coaches, staff, uh, everybody in the organization that's coming to the game, they all sit in the first first classes where the coaches sit. And then all the way up to maybe 14 rows, you got 
uh, equipment manager. You got everybody in an organization. You got, you know, media, all that stuff. And then the players start filing in. Mostly the rookies and all the first-year guys have to be up in the front. All the clowns sit in the back. That's right. To put it, to put it that way. All the clowns, all the guys that want to play cards later, do this, do that. Um, they sit in the back of the bus. So it is a – it's an undertaking. There's no doubt about it. Well, give and, it to me. You got a you got a Sunday game. When's this yeah. all? When's your travel start usually? What's what's I, I think the normal thing? Well, playing in Buffalo, if we played Seattle, which we we played in the Kingdom a few times, um, we would go the night before. And I, I don't think teams do that anymore. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But I know talking to some guys, even coming west, I think the Bills came out here to uh, L.A. a few years ago, and. Uh, they came the night before and played the next day. So they weren't here the day before. So, and that's up to the discretion of the, of the uh, organization, you know, with the time change and all that kind of stuff. That really doesn't make a difference because they're not going to say you lost because it's a three-hour difference. No, you dropped that pass, you know, for a first down, that could have sealed the game. Um, but I think it's just normal. You know, guys, you get there the day before, you go to the hotel, you have a meeting, and you go right there. If you're serious about playing good and you have some, you know, mentality, you know, that mentality, you're I was always like, yeah, if I I got to have a routine and I know you had a routine. I had a routine that I every week on the road, I ate the same thing. I tried to do the same thing because the next day I wanted to feel good about myself that hey, I did all that last night. So I'm good to go. As long as I'm, you know, feel about that, you know, and mentally I'm ready to go. And we leave right after the game. See you. Bye. And uh, we get ready for the next week. We, we come in Monday, watch the film, um, probably get the kinks out if you're sore or you're injured. Tuesday's a day off. A lot of guys come in Tuesday to lift. And then Wednesday, we're back at it again. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, travel Sunday again, Saturday or, and play the game Sunday. So it's quick. The, the week goes fast. And it, it's almost like you guys, like I said, a 10 day road trip, but you're playing every day, if not every other day on that 10 day road trip that week in football goes just as fast, if not faster. So you got to be ready. Right. And and I think when I was going through my career, there was a certain part of me that that was thinking, wow, the NFL schedule is cool because I get to sleep in my bed five nights a week. But then I thought, but it's cool this way too, because I get to see a lot of cities and I'm, I'm in New York for four nights. I'm in, you know, so, so I think there's pros and cons to both, but how about, how about meal money? You guys get meal. I know when we got on a plane, we, we get it. We get an envelope. Yeah. With about a thousand dollars. No, we don't get that. We, we got about thirteen dollars an hour. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they gave you like, you know, they gave you a little bit of a little bit of meal money if you want to call it that. Um, but guys, you know, we had rookies bringing chicken on the plane, like, yeah, you guys got the chicken this week. Um, it's, it's changed a lot, hasn't it? Yeah, man. These guys, rookies ain't doing that no more. They're like no. Uh, they like, you get the chicken. That's you get the chicken yourself. Shoot, they got their. I'm looking at baseball and look at these guys. It took me ten years, Dre, in the big leagues before I got my own shoe, and I got to have my initials and my number on it. Man, I remember Nike told me they were going to make my own shoe, and that was like Christmas for me. I see these kids now coming out of double A with their own shoe. Yeah, you hit the well. Kids in high school got their own shoes. Yeah, you're supposed to earn that stuff. Yeah, they've so. You know, I think sports, we, we, we magnify it so much um, nowadays because the media has so much to do with a player 
and how a player is, you know, it's all about marketing now. Back when we had marketing, I mean, your marketing was being in the paper on Sunday or, you know, what you did. But you, a lot of these players have managers. They have always people around them. They have people looking out for their best interests. And it's not like they didn't have that before, but it's so media driven with, with Instagram and, and now TikTok and all these, these guys are out there more. So they need somebody to, to be on them. You know, hey, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Um, it's, it's hard. I, 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 to be a player now, it's hard, I think. And you're, you're looked at through a microscope and the microscope hole is even, even, you know, smaller now than it was back in, in mid nineties and all that now. So these guys got to be careful, man, about what they say, how they oh, carry yeah. it. Yeah. I, I think, that, I think yeah. nowadays, you know, all the, all the kind of the freeness we had, we didn't have to worry about walking into a restaurant and having cameras on us all the time, you know, iPhone yeah. camera. And today there's the, the perks are the economics are really going up. You know, guys are making a lot more money. The downside is a little of your freedom's taken away. It's like, uh, I might not want to go out today. You know, I, I, I just go back yeah. to the room and, and I'm not talking about with COVID. I'm talking about regular times. You know, you're exactly. more apt, you're more apt. I know on the major league baseball side, you know, there'd be guys time to time and maybe I'd be in that group. Maybe I wouldn't. That would like to go out after a game and have a few beers. Hey, you know? that's we, were, we were both in that group. Come on. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, you know, nowadays I think, uh, you're real, the, the, the current players and the current young players I talk to, they're a little reluctant to do that. Even even the guys that aren't superstars. You know, everybody's kind of a star now because of Instagram and everybody knows everybody. And and I think these kids today are, are more apt to just go back to their hotel room and play Xbox. You know, something that I, I never did. But, uh, yeah, times are changing. I think, I think there's a lot of great things that are going on in sports. And, and sure. there's a lot of sure. things that I wish, you know, I've always learned from – from my career and looking back, you know, I look at my dad's career and I see a lot of really cool things from his era that I wish it were incorporated in my era. I see a lot of things in this current generation that, that man, I cringe at, but I see a lot of things in this generation. I got a son, you know, just signed with Washington. I see a lot of things that I think, wow, I wish I would have known what you guys knew because I could prepare and train differently. So, so there's a give and take with everything, but uh, no, I think it's that's cool. Every, to, that's every sport too. And, and again, yeah. you with your dad, you, you kind of had a leg up because you could, you know, you saw, you watched your dad and your dad kind of give you a little bit of ins and outs of the game. Um, and sometimes some dads and their, their sons, that are baseball players. Sometimes they, they don't, they don't mix, you know, it doesn't mix, but right. your dad, you know, not only was he a great player, but he, he, uh, he took you under his wing and he, he taught you the right way to play the game and, and have the career you had. So that's the upside. Like you said, that's the upside of it, you know, for you as a player to have, you know, your dad, that was a major league baseball player too. So that's, that's, that's awesome. And I want to, I want to jump over to, to, uh, coaches. Okay. Uh, Basic Major League Baseball team, now they're having two hitting coaches. They got a left-handed hitting coach. They got a right-handed hitting We had one hitting coach. So we had about five coaches. You know, didn't talk to the pitching coach usually much. He, he kind of kept his distance and hung out with the non-athletes, the pitchers. <laughs> not, not, but, but our that's coach like, – That's like the punters and kickers, man. We thought they were not <laughs> – yeah, yeah. But, but it's like uh, – 
you know, I, I just think with the NFL, and I've always been curious, man, how many coaches do you have? How much do you lean on them? Because there's a lot more X's and O's in baseball. We have mm-hmm. our meetings when we get to the ballpark. Let's say a team's coming in. We got a four-game series with pick a team. Doesn't matter. The Boston Red Sox. We're going to have a defensive meeting with the pitchers in the room. We're going to have a hitters meeting, and we're going to go over the four starters we're going to face, their bullpen, how to defense how we're going to pitch him and in just kind of a general half hour meeting. And that was once before each series. And it was pretty basic. Other than that, coaches were there for guidance. You know, you got a first base coach, third base coach, you just be the eyes when, you know, but as players, we make all the plays. If there's a double down a right field line, I'm going first to third, that third base coach is going to be my eyes when I can't see behind me. But other than that, coaches kind of stay out of it. You know, the hitting coach is there for you, but, but I always asked a hitting coach, just be there when I need you. Some hitting coaches could help. Some hitting coaches couldn't help you. And it, it wasn't necessarily a negative. It just, it, didn't, it just didn't translate player to player. But I appreciated that they were there when I needed them. From a, in the NFL, how many coaches do you have? How much do you lean on them? I know a head coach has got a lot more to deal with in the NFL as far as X's and O's, just like the NBA. Whereas baseball is, we don't have signs. We don't have plays. So we basically just play well, and, and the manager manages you people. You got, you right. the, man, the, the manager in baseball is there to manage people. He's almost like a CEO. The guys that manage people and get the best out of their players, some players, oh, need, right. some players need a kick in the butt, and some players need a hug to get the same results. Just kind of bring me into the NFL world and, and your relationship with the coaches, how much they meant to you, how much they helped you as long with the, with your, with your head coach as well. I think if you're, you're talented, you're talented. Um, you know, we probably, you know, with the, with the head coach, you had both coordinators. Uh, then you had both def- defensive line coaches. You had uh, the secondary coaches. Uh, at one point you had a quarterback coach. I think some teams still have quarterback coaches. Um, but basically you, you're, you're talking to grown men. Okay, so all week you practice, you do all the things you need to do to prepare. You're still talking to grown men. You're not talking to kids. So the coaches know that. And I think some coaches are a little more tight with their players than others. And when I played in Buffalo, Marvin Levy, who was a Hall of Fame coach for a reason, because not only the way he coached, but he liked, he knew his players. He knew the guys that were the guys that were the bulk of the team. You know, the, the all pros, uh, the perennial pro bowlers. He really didn't have to deal with those guys too much. I mean, sometimes he would, but um, he would use us to lean on these other guys. But mostly the coaches would deal with the younger guys or the guys that needed a little bit more. And I'm sure they did that in baseball, too. So um, and then you're, you're dealing with six, seven, 300 pound guys on offense and defensive line. Uh I don't think you want to get in somebody's face like that if you're a little coached too much. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's probably not a good idea to get in front of another man's face and he's six, seven, three, ten. You don't want to do that. Right. But I think the big word that that really resonates with me is the respect factor. And I think we respected our coaches, we respected each other. Uh, and the head coach, just like the manager, he just kept everything solid. You know, he made – some coaches want to be everybody. They want to be the coordinator. They want to call the plays. They want to do this. They want to do that. But after a while, those kind of – it gets too much. 
And they end up getting fired because they think not only they think they know everything, but they're trying to do everything at once and they're, they're making bad decisions. So I think the head coach not only is the main guy, he is the kind of the mother hen to everybody else. Everybody else is a little duckling. He's the mother hen that keeps, keeps everybody together. Great. And, and uh, yeah, you had Marv Levy, obviously, to, to a layman Major League Baseball player. You know, Marv Levy in, in the NFL is, is kind of iconic. He's kind of like a Joe Torre or Lou Pinella, yeah. a Major League manager. So, yeah. so t- tell me a little bit about Marv, your relationship with him. Jim Kelly, right. guy that, that was a huge part of your career. Mm-hmm. And uh, give me a little insight uh, on two guys that were obviously a big part of Andre Reed's career. I, I think Marv... You know, I, I I loved him as a coach, but I loved him as a person more because that's how he treated me. He treated me like a grown man, a human being. Uh, he wasn't a rah-rah kind of guy in, in your face. If Marv got in your face, you probably really did something stupid, you know. He he, he kind of let his players be his players, and then he, he kind of interjected when he had to. Um, and I think that's why he won so many games and – you want the respect of your players, number one. If you have the respect of your players in any sport, you're going to do anything you have to do to win for that guy. And that's why we loved him as a, as a coach. And, again, I loved him as a person because I can talk to the guy about anything I, that was on my mind. And, um, you know, Jim Kelly, who I wouldn't be in a Hall of Fame without him. You know, it's like, you know, Trevor Huffman wouldn't be in a Hall of Fame without his catcher or Roger Clemens or all the great, you know, the, the late Bob Gibson, you know, uh, you know, uh, condolences to his family. He had to have a battery mate and, and Jim, a quarterback has to have a battery mate. He's got to yeah. have somebody that's going to make him better. Uh, and Jim was that guy for me and I wouldn't be in the hall of fame without him. That's just, you know, it's, it's flat out. There's no doubt about it. Um, respected him as a player, as a person, And I know that he called on me in certain situations where he knew regardless of the situation, I was going to make the play. And then I had to believe that myself too. So, and taking nothing away from all the other guys we had, but you know, we, we had the most catches in the history of the NFL for seven, eight years until Marvin Harrison and Peyton Manning broke that record. So that just goes to show you the relationship we had as a team, uh, as teammates and uh, as people. And uh, again, I respected him. He's he's gone through a very tough time the last six, seven years of his life with, you know, having jaw cancer. And uh, he's a fighter. He's one of the toughest guys. I said this in my Hall of Fame speech. He's one of the toughest guys I've ever known. Um, when that guy got in a huddle, you knew that he meant business and he was going to do anything to win. And, you know, as a team, we rallied behind him. And uh, I'm thankful I had that guy. I could have had Marino. I could have had Elway. Uh, I could have had Brett Favre, great quarterbacks, Hall of Famers. But there was something something different about Jim that uh, that stood out. And, uh, you know, I love the guy as a person. And, again, that's the reason why I'm in the Hall. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, 
obviously you're, you're a great player. Well, Hall of Famer. That says it all right there. But but I, I see what you're saying when you had that. There was something you can't really explain it to people what no. you probably had with Jim Kelly. And, and I think as a baseball player, as a middle infielder, the only thing I can and I don't think it's the same because it's not quarterback receiver, but working with my shortstop. It's like me and Barry Larkin had a five year relationship where it's kind of like we don't know why and we don't want to get too too weird about it. But it just kind of we knew where each other were in that middle, turning a double yeah. play. And yeah. and, that, and I don't think I can get as close as is an Andre Reed and a Jim Kelly because hey, that's man. a real that's a real intimate thing. But from a baseball player, that's probably that relationship that you talk to people and you try to explain it. But it's just kind of a known thing. It's it's probably something you came in the line of scrimmage sometimes. You could give him a look, and he knew what that look meant. I, and, that, I, and, and it's I an knew, awesome thing. I knew, I knew yeah. you were going. I knew you were going there because I would look at him, and it, it, I wouldn't even do this. You know right. You do this somebody? I just and, go. And, and if you explain it to somebody else, they go, how did he know? He go, we just do. <laughs> and, we, and chalk it up to aura, whatever it is. But it, it's a funny thing. All right. What about, okay, I'm going to take you to today and what we've been going through in, in this country. And, yeah. and man, I can't wait to get these kids back in school and get to the other side of this. <laughs> they're but, killing you, dog. They're oh, killing man, you. they're killing me. I got 84 kids running around the house. But I got I, I to gotta ask because, you know, I've been asked a ton of times since this Major League Baseball started and, you know, they had a 60-game schedule and there were no fans. I think the telecast, the, you know, the Fox and the uh, – CBS and whoever's carrying the game, I think they're doing a pretty good job on the baseball side with with the noise, pumping in crowd noise. Because if I wasn't thinking we were in a COVID situation, I, I think there's a crowd in there. And then I realized, oh no, that's they got the crowd noise pumped in. So I think it's pretty cool. As a player, it's probably a little bit weird with no fans in the stands. But I think you know, I explained it to people. I said, once I know that pitcher on the mound and that catcher's there and a real umpire's in place and I know what happens here is going on in the back of my bubblegum card, I can get serious real quick. I don't think there's a real advantage, and, and I'm getting back to my earlier question, I don't think there's a big advantage or disadvantage from a Major League Baseball standpoint other than the bottom of the ninth is always an advantage. Oh, but yeah. I, I was just thinking it might be huge in football right now because oh. like you said earlier, you go to the Superdome, and it's so loud, or, or currently the loud stadium is, uh, Seattle's considered a real loud stadium. There's no 12th man anymore. You know, there's no 10th man if you want to put that in baseball context of the crowd. And I think for football, it really kind of evens the playing field when you go on the road because you don't have to worry about the, 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 play, the play change at the line of scrimmage. Tell me how much easier it is now playing on the road without or, or try to put yourself – in that in that scenario, if you were a current player, it's easier. I mean, you know, I watching a couple games the past couple weeks here. You can on the TV, you can hear the you can hear the signals. You can hear uh, defensive guys talking. In a stadium that's full, you can't hear that. You 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 can't hear maybe not even hear yourself audible. And that is a big big advantage. If you, I, I guarantee, if you. The first four weeks of the year, you look at all the offsides and compare it to last year. All the false starts by the offensive line, all the offsides, there's going to be a percentage, there's going to be a difference in the percentage of guys being offsides because there isn't that crowd noise going on that's going to muffle everything where, you know, you're going to to go offsides or you're going to jump. 
Um, so there is no advantage there um, without without that crowd. But I think just like you said, when you get in a batter's box, man, you just something about you turns on that you can doesn't matter who's out there. You can turn you can turn all that off. Same thing with me. When I got in the stadium, it was I got to turn that off somehow. I got to turn these people off. And sometimes some guys can't do that. But um, in today's game, you know, with all these, you know, with no crowds, it's uh, they can't use that as an advantage like they did a year or two ago or in the past because uh, nobody's going to be yelling at you and there's not going to be a bunch of people talking because you're going to be able to hear everybody talking. <laughs> now you can't. Or now you can before you couldn't. All right. I, I got one question. I'm going to a bust on you a little bit. All right. I got to go to one world series, 1999. Mm-hmm. Got my ass kicked by the Yankees four straight. You was got to go- team, Justice, with DJ on your team. Nope. He wasn't on the team that year. Uh, we got swept. All right. You went to four and lost. And, we got and I tell people all the time, I said, you know, you can't look at it as a negative. I said, I, I would kill to go to four more World Series. Even if I lost, I'd rather be there than not. And I would tell, try getting there before you. But but it's interesting that the Bills and those great teams, a lot of people bring that up as, oh, they lost four Super Bowls. Well, how many teams go to four Super Bowls? It's like mocking, you know, saying something negative about the Braves of the 90s. They went to the playoffs 10, you know, 10 times in a row, only got one World Series. But uh, obviously, legendary team. What's your answer to, to fans out there that say, oh, you went to four Super Bowls, you didn't win? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, even on Instagram, and if I'm putting something up, um, I just put, we're 4 0. So on the, on the messages, we're like, <laughs> oh, and four there. So I'm, I'm going to get that. I, over the years, that part of it has dissipated for me. Maybe the first five years I was out. You know, that was something like that would happen. And I would be like, what did you say? You know, I'd be, be trying to go back at it. Right. But now, like you said, who's ever been there four times in a row? And at the time as a player. Nobody. 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 The Patriots had a chance last year and the Titans beat them. So that to me, that was the closest a team's ever going to come to four in a row. Now, there's seven Hall of Famers from those four losses. There's a Hall of Fame coach. GM and owner. Who can say that? Not too many. <laughs> Not too many people can say that. So whenever I get that, I try to flip the script with them. And I say, what were you doing during those four times that you were watching me on TV? Yelling at you on the TV. Come on, Dre, let's go. Probably yelling, but guess what? You were sitting in your little chair with your little soda and your chips and your guacamole and whatever you were doing saying, man, I wish I would, I wish I was there. I'd love yeah. to play. With yeah. So I got to, I got to kind of reverse it to some people. And then as the years go on and it's been a while now, I just laugh about it because when they talk about you like that, they admire you. Correct. They admire you. It's like that hostile crowd. Well, yeah, I want to say Dre, uh, I, I want to thank you a lot for coming on doing this. I know you've got uh, a lot of things going on. Tell yep. tell the tell the fans what you got going on uh, yep. from a business side, personal life. I, I know you do a lot of good for kids with your reading program. So this is your time, and then we're going to let Danny jump in if if he's got you something got before we close I, it out. So go ahead, go ahead, Andre. I think I was I was uh, you know I think I was put on this earth to 
to be an athlete. And that, that may be, you know, stretching it a little bit, but, you know, God made me to be a football player. And he gave me the talent. He gave me the where all um, to be one. And he, he, he gave me to be a great one. Now, I think in my life after football, I want to be greater than that football player because when it all comes down to it, they know what you did on the field. I think your stamp in life and your legacy is what you do off the field and how you impact somebody else because somebody impacted both of us, your father, different players, friends. uh, They were instrumental in your life. They kept you out of trouble and they patted you on the back when you did great and they kicked you in the butt when you didn't do great or you didn't do well. So my perspective has changed to that. And through the Boys and Girls Club, which is I'm an ambassador like Shaq, like Jennifer Lopez, like all these other actors and actresses and all. They started in Boys and Girls Clubs, just like I did. And they were the first ones to say if it wasn't for the Boys and Girls Club, they could have been anywhere. So that is my mission is not only to talk about where I came from, but what the blue doors of the Boys and Girls Club has meant to me in my life. And as you mentioned before, I have a reading program that encourages kids that reading is important. Knowledge is power. If you can't read by a certain age, especially third grade, if you can't read at a certain level by third grade, you're, you're going to be behind the eight ball a little bit. And I encourage these kids through the game of football to use my use that reading platform to better themselves and to be anything they want to be, to be anywhere they want to be. And we do reading rooms in different boys and girls clubs all across the country. We got like 13 or 14 of them in different places in the country now. Um, I go to different events through the Boys and Girls Club and speak to different sponsors that sponsor kids and sponsor clubs because I feel I'm a face for them. And I'll go with that until I'm not here no more. That is the most important thing to me that has gotten me to where I'm at right now. And uh, I love doing it, man. I love seeing kids be inspired and being happy. And, uh, and I go to places where it's not so great. You know, I go into hoods, I go into, you know, villages. I went to a village in Alaska to a boys and girls club, almost at the top of the world a couple years back where you didn't think there was any buildings, but there was a boys and girls club in this village. So that's what the impact that the clubs have on all kids that, that travel through those doors that they become who they want to be. It's a place to go, a place to be, and a place to become. And that's flat out, man. And I think, uh, you know, me and Teresa, we, we, we do these reading programs and we take kids to football games and we get them on the field and they meet their heroes, they meet the players, they meet the coaches, they meet the owner. Where else can you do that, man? That's just, that's just part of what we do. And it's been great. And we're going to continue to do that. I'm actually going to Wyoming in a couple of weeks uh, to uh, speak at a Boys and Girls Club in Wyoming. And um, it's just, it's fascinating, man, because I tell my story and people don't believe it. But, you know, I never had, you know, when I was little, I never had no books at home to read. I had Jet Magazine and Ebony. <laughs> and yeah. I read, you know, and there was, there was a books, but, you know, I didn't have regular books that my mom, my mom didn't read to me. She even told me, she said, I never read to you when you were a kid. So I'm trying to do that 
to tell these kids how important it is to get that knowledge, man. And it's, it's very important. That's awesome, Dre. That's, that's inspiring. Uh, Danny. Danny, go you ahead, Danny. Any, you got any questions for my boy, Andre? I got a couple things for you. <laughs> Here comes the boys. I got a couple Danny. things Here for you. Here comes the boys. First and foremost, do you still talk to Scott Norwood and the guys of the uh, the old the old <laughs> gang? Now, this is not funny because people might think <laughs> it is, but I've talked to Scott twice in the last 25 years. Really? Really. And I remember seeing him at my Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and it was the first time I saw him in probably 10, 15 years. So I even said to him, I said, Scott, you know, I know the, they think the world is flat, but did you fall off of it? I mean, wh- where you been? What you been doing? And I could tell to a certain point that that Super Bowl miss kick has still, it's still embedded in him. And it shouldn't be because the guy made great kicks for us to even get there. Yeah, you missed the kick, but hey, Bill Buckner went through his legs. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen, right? LeBron missed a shot, or somebody, Michael Jordan missed it. Michael Jordan missed over 5,000 shots. So you can't, you know, I try to tell I tried to tell him that you can't let that, you know, rule your life, man. And and Buffalo has had him back a few times in different games and all that and showed him love. And I did I can just see it still was bothering him, but um that's where Scott is. And he's, I think he lives in Virginia. He does insurance in Virginia, but you know, when he missed that kick, we, we, we came back to Buffalo and everybody gave him a hug and said, this ain't your fault, man. Yeah. You missed the kick, but it isn't your fault. Cause it didn't even shouldn't have came down to a kick. I've dropped the pass that I should have caught. Um, it is what it is. So let's just keep moving forward, man. So, yeah, I guess I can only imagine that he comes into a locker room after the Super Bowl. Jersey is nice and clean, still still nice and pressed. He sees guys like you who are in tears, have blood driven down. Your jerseys are all messed up, and I'm probably – you probably can't get that out of his mind. That, that's probably something that, that can't do I, it. I think one thing about our team is if you watch that game and you watch the end of it after you missed the kick and we're walking off the field, five players came up to Scott, put their, hand, their arm around him, and consoled him. You just did not let him go in by himself. Five guys consoled him and said, yo, man, it's all right. And, and, I, and I think Andre touches on a point there. Dan, yeah. I think Andre touches on a good point that, you know, us as athletes, we live and die. We, we're, we're a family for six months a year. And like he was saying, Norwood has made so many kicks for that team to even get to where they are. And as athletes, as much as you'd think, no matter what have ball go through your legs – Two run score, you lose the World Series. Everybody think, oh, he's the goat. He's mad. No, first thing that team does is go give that guy a hug, because we've all been there. Maybe all not, been. maybe not at the Buckner level, the Norwood level on that big of a stage, but in some capacity, we've all been there. So, so the the fan that watches that game that thinks, oh, they must hate Norwood, I, I would disagree and say no. That team's got love for him. Maybe he and Andre's been, you know, was explaining that Scotty still that that haunts him. Now I've never been in that big of a platform and had something like that happen, but I but I could only imagine. Sorry, I just had to intervene a little bit. No, no, people people said to me, "Hey, when he was on the plane, did you open the door and kick him out?" I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) On a on a on a joking note, you know, he is a kicker. Come on, (laughs) but you know, again, I think. Our team was just, we just weren't like that, man. We didn't, we didn't roll like that. And I think 
because of all the, I mean, we won more games in a 10 year span before the Patriots than any team in NFL history. So how can you be, how can you be like that? You just can't be like that. Cause that guy's going to have to kick another one somewhere down the line. He's going to have to make one. And one day and, it might be you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Hey, you turn around and it could be you, you never know. So we consoled them. And, and again, I, I think Scott, uh, you know, it haunts him in a way. I think as the years go, um, it's not like he walks down the street and people are just like, yeah, Scott, no way. You're the one that missed that kick. I mean, how many times? Okay. What, what have you done in your life? What have you done? Yeah. What have you done? Sure. You're not perfect. I've eaten a lot of chicken wings in my life and I'm very proud of every one of those wings, <laughs> hey, Mr. Reed. Andre, Andre, yeah. see those wings? See, that's, that's why we do audio. I got you guys, it. you guys, <laughs> you guys, some of you guys have a bus in mind of you. Some of you guys have weedy boxes and silver sluggers. I got myself a Kirkland water, people. Kirkland water. Delicious. Delicious. The question I have for you is this, and I, it, it's an actual, it's a funny story. Kind of sad, but kind of cool. When I first moved to Chicago, like I said, I was a kid. I moved around a lot when I was a kid and I never really knew what a lot of the legend football guys look like because at the time in the nineties, I just, I just knew what the guys looked like. And I joined a sports station out here and I was like 20 years old interning and I was pretty much just running audio over overnights and the Christmas party. I sat next to a gentleman, a nice dressed up plain looking guy. And he and I started talking about football and we started arguing because at the time it was the, I think it was 2000 ish, 2001. It was the jets versus the, the Raiders in the playoffs. And I remember arguing saying that the crowd is going to be in this game. There's no way the jets are going to win. And he told me, he goes, believe me, son, the crowd has nothing to do with it. And I was like, oh, you have no idea what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm arguing with this guy. The guy gets up and leaves, and I go, hey, who is the sales guy? And they go, are you talking about Gail? And I was like, Gail Sayers? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I had this whole argument with them. And I, they made fun of me on the radio for about a good month and a half. You, go, you were like, oh. I was going to say maybe Mike Dicker. He probably would have punched you in the face. Well, that, yeah, I, I would have recognized him. because he. But Gail he Sayers, yeah. Gail Sayers, he like I said, he, he wasn't, I mean, he, I don't want to say he was my, I used to be skittier than I am now, but he was not a big imposing human being. He just was like a normal yeah. looking guy. And I actually think Magic, for that, yeah. and for that moment, he actually pulled me aside and said, I appreciate it that you didn't know who I was because we actually had to have a real argument because nobody, I guess, has ever argued with yeah. Gail before. And had I known who it was, I probably would have thrown up and Said I'm, sorry. I said, I'm so sorry. I'm not from here. <laughs> but is that true, no, though? Should, is that true? You don't hear the crowd? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've always wondered because I had the argument with him, but I was like, okay, you're an icon and probably one of the greatest to ever do it. But I mean, Brett, you too. Is that when there's like a big game, can you guys channel out that crowd? Does that crowd mean nothing to you? Because I guess, you know, with everything that goes on. Well, I think, you yeah, I think. I think I think it's a matter, you know. A lot, it's up. First of all, it's up to the individual on how how you let the the outside circumstances dictate. But I think as you go on in in your prospective sport, uh, you know, obviously we all learned Andre as well as myself. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sure he can attest to. Man, sports at the highest level will humble you in a heartbeat, and, and it's how you get up after you get knocked down. So so a lot of the players, especially when they're in the postseason, you see these guys playing. This isn't their first rodeo. So so they're with more experience and more experience, it's pretty easy to to 
when you're doing your job, when I'm on the field, that's why you'll see these guys that are mic'd up during a, a playoff game. They had Turner for the Dodgers, third baseman the other day, he's mic'd up. Between pitches, he's talking to A-Rod in the, in the, in the booth. And everybody's, oh, it's unbelievable. It's really not that big of a deal for guys like that because you're, you're almost like a robot. You do what you do. The, the crowd is out of it. Now, once your play is over, you come into the dugout and in between. Now, you can hear stuff, people yelling at you, you know. But but once you get down to business, the crowd really uh, doesn't it become that big of a factor, especially with veteran players that have been there, done that. You learn to just kind of be – to, yeah, to zone it out. Most guys turn that around in their factor, bro. They especially they, – they, some guys love to get hyped. They give me – yeah, let's, come on, let's go. That's amazing. You know, they, they, that's, a, that's how it hypes them up. That's you know, amazing. Some, some guys need that. They need that kind of energizing. Um, got a got a quick Gail Cassera story. When I got inducted to the hall in 2014, besides meeting Jim Brown, and I'm in a, you know, at the Super Bowl, they have a gold jacket dinner. So you got a hundred gold jackets in there, the greatest players that ever played the game. Wow. And my first year. Uh, after my first year, I go to the Super Bowl and I'm at the gold jacket dinner with my gold jacket on. And I walk in and I'm like, what am, what am I doing here? <laughs> Believe it or not, I really I thought about it. I'm like, do I even belong here? I just was like, no, I, this is not. And I had to pinch myself with like, this is not real. That I shouldn't even be in this room. And that's that's not being. I just shouldn't be in here. I mean, there's a big word for it. I just can't think of that word right now, but I shouldn't be in this room. And Gail Sayers was one of the first guys that I, he came up to me and introduced himself to me. And I remember my dad was a big Bears fan. He, Gail Sayers was, out, was, his, was his dude. And to meet Gail Sayers, man, I was like meeting royalty, man. I was just like, I, I was ready to turn around and walk out and say, I, I don't belong in here. So that's that's my Gail Sayers story. Well, I, I I live in Chicago, so there was there's a couple times you you meet and see people, and I would see later on in life I would see him at other events. I got on the radio and I met him at dinners and stuff. And I even one time he and I were in the same ice cream aisle at Whole Foods, and I was like, oh my god, that's Gail Sayers. And every time he saw me, he would laugh at me because he remembered that I was the guy that had no idea who he was. <laughs> and to this day, this day I feel I feel so bad, but I'll never forget having that argument with him, being like. How do you channel that out? That is unbelievable. Yeah. But I think I think what Andre t- touched on there is really cool to hear because that's what we talk about in the sports. This this sport this this sport at the highest level will kick your ass. And the humbleness that you went into that room with, thinking I don't belong here. There's going to be a kid one day, wide receiver that gets inducted to the Hall of Fame, and Andre Reed's going to be there, and he's going to walk into that room, and he's going to have that same feeling, and you're going to remember the feeling you had. You're going to walk over to him and say, hey, kid, welcome to the Hall. Well, here's the difference. And that's pretty cool, though. Here's the difference. I might be like 100. Well, that's all right. <laughs> that's all right. Just, I might be 100 years old coming walking up there. Hey, boy, what's up? How you doing? But you, you well, you'll have that what, jacket. I, I, I ain't in the Hall. You're gonna, you, you have the opportunity. Maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Very that, cool. that, really, that was the beauty of that room with all those guys talking and telling stories every year about whatever their, their family life, what's going on. But once you get in that room with all those guys with those jackets on, you guys are all the same. It don't matter if you're a first ballot, 
took me nine years. They all, we all treat each other the same because it's so rare that you get to be in that kind of, oh man, that just, it still gives me chills. And it'll give me chills every time that as a 17 year old high school kid, I just want to go to college and get an education and be a first generation college student like my mom and dad wanted me to be. But to be in a hall of fame and be in a room with all these guys, Jim Brown, me and Jim Brown are talking like I talked to him yesterday. That's unbelievable. I just, I just, it's just unfathomable, man. And what an honor uh, to go there and see all those guys every year at the Super Bowl, and uh, and and just just talk with them, man, and just like it's it's pretty surreal, pretty surreal. Well, Andre Reed, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Boone Podcast. Uh, man, I, let me. This was great. It was a great hour, man. Brett is my boy. I respect him as a as a uh, as a baseball player, but even more as a person. And every time I see him, we chop it up, we laugh, we joke, whatever it is, and. You know, he's a quality dude, so uh, I appreciate you having me on. Pleasure was all on this side of the table. I'll tell you this much. I was just telling my wife, I had her come in looking at you guys. I'm like, these guys are so award-winning. I have nothing going on over here. I'm looking at audio levels. These guys, this is the most amazing here, Zoom session have, I've ever been have, on. You have, you didn't know who Gail Sayers was. That's what you got. <laughs> <laughs> That's a strike two. That's strike two, this I one. One more and you're out. Yeah. So thank you guys. I appreciate it. Everything was great, man. It was awesome. Well, he Thanks, is Hall Greg. of Famer, Andre Reed. And again, we always get to hear from our favorite guys, Silver Slugger, All Star, and also Golden Glover, Brett Boone. Andre Reed, your Twitter handle, sir. Do you is it at Andre yeah, Reed? Andre uh, underscore Reed eighty three. Is that you? That's it. That's my Instagram. Um, you can check me out on TikTok. I do some some crazy things sometime when I get that, you know, that that loose one in me. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so we, we we all on a social media platform, man. We have fun. Check me out. I'm having my golf tournament here uh, December 7th, Booney, if you're around. I told you I got to play it. Let's go. Yeah, where, where's it at? It's at Fairbanks Ranch. I'm in. Uh, ugly Sweater Golf Tournament. So <laughs> I can do that. Sweater, Dan, could you send me, Dan, could you send me a sweater? Sure. I'll take it out of one of my, one of my millions I've gotten over the years. Maybe a little too big for you. All benefits my foundation, my reading program. And after golf, um, it's actually Monday night. So after golf, the Bills play the 49ers on Monday night football. And we're going to have TVs on the 18th green and we're going to watch the game. Very cool. Andre Reed, a man of many things, foundations and all. Please go ahead and head to his websites and head to his Twitter handles and donate when you can. And for everybody here, we want to thank you guys for listening to another Brett Boone podcast. And again, you can subscribe, listen, and do all the things you want. We're on all the platforms. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. Anywhere else where you get your uh, your podcast. Gentlemen, anything we want to say before we get going here? Be Peace. safe, man. Peace. All right, guys. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Peace.